<laughs> Sorry, I've been wanting to do that all day. I just got this Rodecaster Pro and recorded the sound. Oh, yeah? That's actually the M3 show. Uh, but welcome, oh, everybody. It? That's funny. Yeah. I recorded the M3 sound this morning. Uh, but welcome, everybody, to yeah. another episode of Like a Street Photography Collective. I'm Ricky, and today's guest is Frank Jackson. So I want to thank you for taking your time out of your day and being a guest on the podcast and giving the listeners something to listen to. So please introduce yourself. Tell the where you're from, where you live, what you do, anything you'd like us to know. Well, my name is Frank I am the third of three named Frank, but they never called me Frank. They called me Jack because I would be, uh, I'm not junior. I would have been a third. So my immediate family never called me Frank. They called me Jack, but everyone outside the family knows me as Frank. Last name Jackson, no relation to the famous Jacksons. Born in Jacksonville, Florida, no relation to the town. And I absolutely take pictures because I can't draw. If I could sketch and draw, I never would have been a photographer. Um, so there you go. That's kind of... And the fact that I chase light. I'm still light chasing after all these years. Uh, I hope I don't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So um, when did you begin making photos? And what genre did you start off with? Um... You know, there's never been, it's still to this day, there's no genre for me. My thing is, um, when I say I chase light, if light is hitting something a certain way, um, that's what motivates me to shoot it. So be be a person, place, or thing, if the light hits it, that's when it has a life all to itself. Um, it's when, so the, 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 the art side of me, is you do whatever you want. The professional side of a portfolio and you're specifically working for someone and they need something to look a certain way and they hire you because you have a, a particular set of pictures in your portfolio. What I tell the young guys is if that was luck and you're showing them lucky pictures you took and you can't do that again on demand, you can't show that to people. You need to show them what you can reproduce because that's what they're hiring you for. That's the, you know, okay. And the fine art side would fall within the street photography thing where street photography is, is anything on the street. You know, um, most of the time it's people shooting people, but you could be shooting a building. Um, the building is going to be there tomorrow but the light on the building is not going to be the same. So if you see that building and it makes you go, wow, look at that. Stop saying, wow, look at that and shoot that damn thing because it's going to be, you're never going to get the same shot again. You're just not, it ain't going to happen. You fool yourself into believing that it's never going to be the same, you know? Um, so, um, people that like people pictures, if they see my people stuff, they go, oh, we love your people stuff. I don't think much of your landscapes. People that are in the landscapes don't think much of people. They like the landscape stuff. And if, every once in a while, you find someone that sees the commonality, or if that's such a word, the commonness between the light on this person and the light on that chair and how much they're, how, how so similar they are and how they actually do go together. 
you know, so. Yeah. I, does I that make sense to you? It, it does. And um, I know exactly what you mean, uh, especially the light's going to be different every day, right? So today is sunny, tomorrow might be foggy, overcast. So every day is. Yeah, and, and you have different day. Mm-hmm. And you have to get to a point where no matter what the light is, you don't ever control the sun. You become friends with the sun, but you learn how to, how to work with the sun. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there are people that say, uh, they try, you know, the composition. I mean, I, my thing about composition is I think there are people that are born with, uh, the ability to just understand composition and use it. Well, if you try to use composition in street photography, um, that's very hard to do because if you're shooting people that are doing something, they're moving. They're not going to sit still in the right spot for you to get that composition. You got to shoot that, you know, and hope you get one shot. Maybe you'll get one. Maybe you'll get two. If you're using a rangefinder Leica, whew, man, you know, you know, a bunch of things got to come together. Um, you have to be, uh, comfortable using the camera. You've got to really know your gear. Um, you know, segue on the rangefinder cameras. I started out with uh, an SLR type camera, single lens reflex. And um, uh, one of the guys in our neighborhood let me have uh, Pentax and with a couple of lenses, and I, you know, I could do whatever I wanted to with it. And I learned on that camera. And then um, I went away to college for a year. When I left, I had an old Hasselblad. I was in heaven. I ended up lucked out. Got an old Hasselblad and an Olympus OM1. That was the first uh, full, full frame, small, small body, thirty five millimeter professional system. An OM1, nice little camera. So I ended up in college with that and the Hasselblad. Left college after one year, went to New York City, got my first professional photo job, um, and I was using the Olympus OM1 and a fifty millimeter lens for all of the work. And then one day I had to get the Hasselblad repaired and I was in this camera shop and I saw my first Leica. It was an M5 rangefinder, black, mm-hmm. with no lens. And I said, what's that? And the guy goes, oh, that's a new Leica rangefinder, first one with a meter. I was like, oh, uh, let me see that. So he pulls it down. And I brought my Hasselblad in to get repaired and it was going to cost me $100. This was 1975. $100 to fix the Hasselblad. And at that time, list price on a rangefinder, um, like a body, was six hundred dollars. You know, which is about six thousand dollars in today's money. Mm-hmm. And so I put that camera in my hands. It was like magic. It was so well made. It was like, it was like, it was, it was like somebody handing you uh, a piece of of, of metal sculpture art. And the sounds it made, you know. And uh, I said, how much is this? He goes, it's 600 bucks. I said, how much for this? How much uh, money will I have to put in if I trade my Hasselblad in? He goes, 100 bucks. I was like, okay, do it. So I traded. Never even shot a rangefinder. I traded my Hasselblad and no lens. I walked out of there with that body and my, I had my OM1 and the lens on it. And I had, a, I had an M5. And for a week, for my next check, I had a week to play with this camera with no lens. I used to just take it out and hold it and fire it. 
you know, and it made that wonderful like a sound, you know, and uh so I went back to him two weeks later with my, my check and he had he had one lens in stock, a ninety millimeter Sumicron F two. Oh wow. <laughs> so that's the only lens I learned to shoot rangefinder with the ninety millimeter Sumicron telephoto for everything. Yeah. I did everything with that. I did group shots. I did wide, I, you, know, you backed up for wide angle shots. It was crazy. So I learned to really focus well. So, and then I came to LA. I was in LA for, came to LA in 75, 76. So I had that camera. And then a year I bought a 35 millimeter F2. And then I still had the Leica. And then I bought a, a Nikon FM. And then I kind of segued into four by five, taught myself four by five. And I was working, at this time I was working for IBM, Mm -hmm. fixing equipment for them. So I was making nice money and I worked for them for four years and I quit because I didn't want to, I didn't see myself, you know, staying in that company. And I ended up freelancing for a little while and ended up, getting a gig where they needed someone that was experienced with IBM typewriters and fixing cyber with the ball. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, you know, it was like, uh, IBM trained us so well. It was like, say you went to the service and you were trained by the seals and you end up, you know, leaving the, the seals and you tire out and then you get a job being a camp counselor at a daycare. That's what this job was like. Because you know the, the repairs were, the repairs on the on the IBM equipment were no, not even close to dip, as difficult as the stuff I was working on in the field. And uh, so uh, I was at that company for a little while, and I ended up employee art contest, and I won. And the art director there started giving me work, freelance work on the side. Mm-hmm. And then within a year, they asked me to become their photographer. Nice. So I ended up being a court photographer. I'd, I'd learned four by five. I learned to shoot product photography. Um, I learned architecture. I learned to shoot portraits. Um, I was doing, um, they had a newspaper. They had, I was doing all, they had me shoot annual reports and they were flying me all over the country. My first professional trip out was to go to Japan. It was 1985. So I was flown to Japan, went to Kyoto, Tokyo, um, Fuji had just come out with the first uh, folding 645 rangefinders. Mm-hmm. And they weren't even here yet. And they were 100 bucks, brand new. Nice. So I bought one. Bought one and was using it there. You know, um, but yeah. Just a, a, a long, still going, ongoing journey. At this stage, um, I've come full circle. I mean, I did a lot of commercial ad work. I mean, that sustained me through the, uh, I stopped working for a company I was with. Uh, I started freelancing on my own through the nineties. And then about 2000 and 2003, I got this illness that changed my life overnight. So I couldn't work anymore like I used to. So kind of segued into the fine art world. And, you know, I still, I do commissions. Um, 
I have some of my stuff in a lot of people's collections. Um, I'm known for my work in black and white. Since I learned photography in the film years, we learned color management with film. Nice. And we also learned, I learned black and white, I learned in a dark room. So I know how to print in a dark room, but I also, that helped me to understand how to print digitally. So I've got a serious digital printing system that allows me to, to outprint any lab. I'm using a software program called Image Print from Colorbyte. And it takes the it takes an Epson printer and slaps it upside the head and says, you're going to do what I want you to do. And I get these black and white look like premier wet darkroom prints. And the color looks like premier color from master printers. Nice. You know, so uh, speaking of printing, for me, photography is all about printing. If you're shooting and you're not printing, why are you wasting your time and anybody else's? Um, I prepare all of my files to print. So my pictures always have a richness to them. Uh, they look better in print than they do on the computer or on the phone. Um, somebody um, on Instagram had sent me a very nice compliment. He said, your highlights look so creamy. They have detail. I said, that's because film has detail. And I said, I had to learn to, I underexpose pictures that have a lot of highlight, hot highlights. So the sensors can handle, they don't clip. So when I make a print, 99% of the time, you'll never see a picture of mine in black and white and the highlights are blown. Because film never blows highlights. Mm -hmm. No film shots ever do that. You know, if, if it is, it wasn't printed right. Or you shot it wrong, right? Overexposed it? Yeah. Most, honestly, most of the time they didn't, they didn't process the film right. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the negative, if you look at the negative and you can, you can see that it's not clear or it's not, it's not, it's not completely dense. Mm -hmm. There's detail there. You know, uh, I, and I read every book Ansel Adams ever wrote. I was, you know, I, I messed around with the zone system. I had, I used to own all the light meters. I still own a very good light meter. Um, I actually make really good exposure with my digital cameras. Saves me a lot of time and grief. These people that think they're going to fix stuff later, you're just wasting, you're not doing yourself a good service. You know, you make it harder to process all your pictures. Uh, if the pictures are all over the place, you know, you can't, you got to process each one singularly. You can't just do a group of them. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't cut corners. I'll just put it that way. No, I like it. So I was speaking with yeah. Greg, uh, and he was describing you without saying your name. And now just listening to you talk, I connected. You're exactly what he was talking about, the master of all trades, printing, uh, all, all of that. Essentially, what you said, he, he broke it down in a condensed version. Uh, and at first, I didn't know, uh, but now I know it's you. Uh, just to go back. I'm not sure. It's just a random side note. Um, the Olympus OM-1 actually used to be called the M-1. But Leica said, no, our cameras are the only M's on the market and kind of forced Olympus to change it to OM. So I like OM better than M-1. Yeah, Leica's so funny. Yeah. They were, they were actually yeah, they really scared. Yeah, yeah. 
they were scared of the Japanese camera market. They should be because uh, first off, I mean, at the end of the day, um, back then, Leicas were the best made cameras. And at the end of the day, uh, that didn't matter because Nikons were very well built. Uh, I, w- I was a Nikon guy. And then before I was a Leica guy. And when I got the job, I was at Transamerica. Uh, at Transamerica as a corporate photographer, um, they said they would buy me anything I wanted to use. I didn't buy Leicas. I bought FM3, F3s. That was the top of the line camera. I bought titanium F3s because if I'm in a foreign country and I need to get another body for something that I can't get it fixed, I just go to a new camera store and go get one. Every camera store didn't have a Leica franchise to replace their cameras. Um, you know, they didn't have, a, there was no service available for that. Um, at the end of the day, um, the best camera you have is the one that's still working. <laughs> not, not the one that's built the best, but the one that's still working. Yeah. You, don't have a you know, you can't make photos simple. <laughs> I was, uh, I was on one of the trips. I was on a cruise ship and they had, I was going to Haiti for them. And, and I had, I took, I took five bodies with me, you know, and one of the bodies, uh, the electronics act, that wasn't a problem. I just. You know, but I always carried in the Pelican case. My I had F M four P's, my rangefinder Leicas, two bodies, three lenses, and that was my those were my backup backups. Mm-hmm. And once in a while I carried the Hasselblad. But uh the Nikons always worked. They worked. You know. Um I never ask people what they shoot for. If I see a picture, I'm just I'm blown away by how much I love the picture. I never care what they used to shoot it. Mm-hmm. It never occurs to me, but what do you shoot this with? It's just not important. I, you know, um, it's even, to me, it's even more or less important because your raw files, it, the raw file looks one way, but you're going to put it through one of the programs of your choice, either Capture One, Photoshop, Lightroom, DxO, Photo Lab. There's, you know, there's all kinds of these programs and they're going to put their stink on that file. And then what's left up to you is to color manage it back to neutral if you need to. Um, you know, um, I, because, I, well, I used to, I, I, for years I walked around with a Hasselblad like it was a point two camera. And I love those cameras. Um, love that. I love the big negative. I like the fact that it was, um, there was something simple and straightforward about the camera. I like Zeiss lenses. I like the way Zeiss lenses see things. They have a, a detailed look at things, not like a sharp to me, a more of a detailed, smooth life. This is life kind of look to things. And I like that look. So I'm always looking for glass that gives me that look. Okay. It kind of reminds me of how things are. Yeah. Like, so I'm curious because you said your first Leica lens was the 90. How did that shape yeah. your photography? Because seeing through the 90 millimeter frame lines in the in the rangefinder is really difficult to. It's a, t- it's a tiny box. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like the box. The box is 
literally half the size of the 50 millimeter frame line. Yeah. I, but I was so used, I was so used to it. You know, it's almost like if, um, say somebody gives you a pair of eyeglasses and the lenses have big holes cut, but there's only like uh, a half inch hole in it. Mm-hmm. And that's all you see. That's what you get used to seeing with. And you have to deal with life. And that, you mean you get good at it, you know? Yeah. Um, it made me really, I learned how to focus a rangefinder. Let me tell you. Yeah, you know? Real precise. Cause it's real mind that box. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. And the beauty of it was that, because um, I, you know, you don't get to see separation, uh, you know, as you stop down and open up with a rangefinder, that helped a lot because I wasn't looking through the lens. Because if I was looking through the lens, I, there's a lot of bottom pictures I probably wouldn't have taken. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm lucky that I didn't have to. I, I couldn't. I couldn't see uh, separation and depth of field as you open and stop down. But you know, the 90 millimeter Supercron back then was a big hunking piece of glass too. Yeah. You know, it looked, looked like a big, big, dark penis on the front of a flat body. That's what it looked like on the, on the M5. And people hated the M5 because it was huge. It's a big, flat body. You know, it wasn't tiny and precise like an M4 or an M3. You know, and, and, and the M5 almost put like out of business because they couldn't sell them. They did. That's why they... They really... Yeah. They went back to... They came out with the M6. They came out with M4P, which, you know, it was an M4 with no self-timer. Mm-hmm. It came out with an M4, too, then an M4P. M4P, you put a winder on it. And then they came out with the M6. And the M6 didn't do as well. As a matter of fact, there was an ad, I think, in the 80s where there was this telephoto lens that if you bought this particular telephoto lens from Leica, you got a Volkswagen car oh, wow. for free. <laughs> Good marketing. Yeah, it was it was it was it was a it was a lower version of it was a, a Wolf. I think it was called a Wolf. It was a cheaper version of the Golf. You got and the lens was you know thirty or forty thousand dollars, but you got the car for free. Yeah. Or did you get the lens for free? You got no, you paid for that. <laughs> that's how you got you got the car for free. Yeah, you. You know that it was that was like this is. They're really hurting. Yeah. You know, but uh, I think I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a businessman or a marketer, but I have a feeling that, um, I don't see a lot of their cameras around and there's still more money than everybody else's. Um, but once again, like it, it is truly not about the equipment. I know some people that I've seen them pull out an iPhone and do some stunning pictures mm-hmm. just, gorgeous beautiful stuff and print yeah. you know really know what they're doing um it's weirdly enough i don't think i'd be i mean my personal camera i'm a sony guy but i don't know if 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 they would want me to be their spokesman because you know i like some of their glass. I like other glass for this. And I'm like, Hey, I know it works for me. You know, it's, uh, it's not the, 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 the camp, the equipment companies trying to take credit for, I guess it's the same as a hunter. You know, he's got custom rifle 
Um, he's got, the hunters always have um, custom loads. You know, they either get their guy to do it or they're doing it. You don't go, you don't, you don't go buy those rounds off the shelf. You know, you got your setup at home and you got the, the powder like you want it. You've got the, the, the bullets like you want it. You've got your shells all weaned out like you want them and everything. And you're putting those things together, you know, and you're, it's, it's real meticulous kind of stuff. So, you know, oh, yeah. it's one of those things. Gotcha. I think that I repost a lot of pictures mm-hmm. because a good picture will always look different. It won't look the same. You'll find things in the picture. I'm finding pictures and stuff that I shot years ago. I didn't even notice. I'm going, wow, look, wow, look at that. You know, I didn't see that before. Um, my memory is truly photographic when it comes only, only because when I see a picture, I can remember exactly the day what was going on around that picture, but I don't remember anything else. I don't remember people's names. <laughs> you know, somebody could t- tell me something. I was like, what'd you say? Did you, what'd you just, you know, something like the old dude, you know, that forgets everything. But I can look at a picture and start, wow, I remember that day. Wow. I ate ice cream that day. I was doing this. I was doing that. It's just hilarious sometimes. It's weird how that works because I'm the same way. Like I can look at any one of my photos and I'll remember. I don't remember the exact yeah. day, but I remember taking the photo. I remember what camera I used. I don't care about the settings, so I couldn't say the settings. But I just remember being there and taking that photo. So It's stimulated, I guess. I don't know. It's in, it's in the mind. Here's a story. You can find it. So I met um, this woman that's a big deal at Christian Dior in Paris. We were in France earlier this year. And we start talking. And she said, you know, pretty cool. She goes, I have a female friend of mine. She's younger. She was a ballerina. She's about 26. And are you looking for a muse? I said, well, I said, somebody to shoot. I said, I'm always looking for somebody to shoot. She goes, you know, she doesn't want to be a ballerina anymore. And she, uh, she She's in L.A., and I'll hook you guys up. So I got, we ended up speaking, and we were supposed to meet for coffee. And so I wanted to find out where this girl's head was because I didn't send her one picture of another girl. I sent her pictures of, I've seen my work, the floating egg, the feather. I sent her pictures of objects, no people. Mm-hmm. And so... Oh, after about a week and a half of that, we were supposed to meet for coffee at the end of the week. She sent me a text message. Frank, I think you and I are on different pages. And at first, I thought to myself, I was like, what? <laughs> and then I said, thank, thank God she let me know who she was. You know? So the whole point is, it's not about whether it's a person, place, or thing. It's the light. You got to see the life in something because of the light. Definitely. You know? And it doesn't matter uh, how beautiful somebody is, if you don't have good light on them, they're not going to look good. You should you send know? her... So I, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, I mean, this is what I did. What I did was, I, I said, I said, no worries, cool. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I typed back. And then uh, Sophie sent me a thing from Paris. Hey, so when are you meeting the girl? And I said, we're not. I said, she said, uh, she sent me a message that we aren't on the same page. And so Sophie sent me the, uh, 
the uh, oh no kind of emoji is yeah. like hands on the side of the face going oh no, <laughs> and I said hey I'm I'm good I'm good, you know. Uh, I know who I know who I am and what I want to do. And if you're dealing with someone who's not sure what they want to do, they need to follow your lead until they realize possibly you may not be going where they want to go. Oh yeah, I, I agree. She didn't give it. She didn't. She didn't give it a chance. Mm-hmm. You know. So I was like, thank God. There was a time in my life where I would have been, what? You know? How dare you? I was not like, cool. No worries. We're good. <laughs> That's that's kind of where I'm at. So like I do portraits just for fun occasionally every now and then and uh you know I've I tried working with people and, and then they'll cancel and I feel like I got to a point in my my skill level in photography where like you like if you want to work with me okay if not and you do, do decide you're going to work with me I'm going to make the photos I want to make. So um yeah I can definitely agree, and I feel I know where you're at with there. So good on you. What I, what I was gonna it say was, is, you should have sent her a, just a picture of a black something all black, right? Like there's no photo here unless there's a light. Yeah. And if you can't see it, then you know, do better. She she would have she that would have gone right over her head. <laughs> would have gone right over her head. She uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I got man, I've got man, I've got a long history of shooting glamour shooting lots of girls and I'm always proudest of the pictures of the women that aren't the sexiest looking women in person. Mm-hmm. And these women, they knew how to turn it on. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're a little chunky, but they knew how to line it up when they got in front of the camera and they light it up, you know, um, bringing light to things like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I just kind of cracked up laughing. I, I, I've had, uh, there was another one of my friends, um, I did a lot of news of, and we always, we got good pictures, but the toughest time with me with her was I'm photographing her and she's trying to get me to see what she thinks is a good picture. And she's not even looking through the lens. (laughs) She's not a photographer. So it was always, we always had that dynamic going on but I always managed to get some great shots of her. And uh, we're still, we're still good friends in this day. They used to crack me up laughing. I'm like, it's like you're blindfolded in the back of the car and you're telling me I'm going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so you know, I'm like, what did it make no sense? Why are you adamant that that you think that's going to look better? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, that's their comfortable pose. So when I was in England, uh, I did a couple, um, modeling workshops just because I felt like I wanted to get into portraiture, studio portraiture. So I I took a few workshops and I will say this, I'm not a portrait photographer by any means, but shooting a professional model versus an amateur model, like, you know why they get paid. Like they just, they know the movements, the modeling of the light. It, It is completely a whole new world when you work with a professional. So I, I do appreciate their work and their skill. And I never ever yeah. question if they say, Oh, this is my, my rate. So, uh, I definitely yeah. get it. Oh yeah. No, they, 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 even when they're screwing up there, they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, we hired, I remember there's a guy that, uh, that we uh, shoot with and he hired this girl from the Czech Republic and man, she gets in front of the camera 
And that girl, she could put on a burlap bag and just light up the room. She was amazing. You know, she's known for, for a lot of nude stuff, but there's nothing she couldn't do. You know, and she knew how to pose. Um, she, she would think of stuff before you even say it. She was thinking doing it, you know, made life really easy. You know, um, some of the best sessions, uh, one of my, so, so one of my long-term projects is shooting coffee cups. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, st- I got this idea, coffee's life, coffee's community, coffee's connection. Cause now everybody in the world, especially in Europe. Yep. In Europe, people have to have their coffee, you know. They'll stop life to have a coffee. And here it used to be uh, grab a cup of grab a cup of bad coffee and drink it. Now people are a little more conscious of it. Unfortunately for Starbucks, you know, uh, Starbucks gets an A in marketing and an F in coffee, you know. So I'm not hating. It's just it's just a fact. You, know, you go there and you get the drink, the foo-foo drink, and it does what it does. Um but I, I was fascinated by the evidence, the left, the, the, the humanity minus the humans, of when someone leaves a coffee cup and all the stuff on the table when they're done. So I start to photograph that. I start going around documenting that, and I started in 1989. I'm still doing it to this day. Nice. And I've had several exhibitions. I've published three books. Um. I'll have to send you the links to the where you can get the books. Oh, definitely. Uh, and I'm always and then what I did was, hey, well, I'll definitely send you some links. So what I did was, I um, I just did coffee cups. And I wouldn't touch anything. You know, there'd be like trash or any stuff they'd want to leave with it. And then in 2001, I was in Holland at a coffee place. My buddy was working at. My Dutch buddy was working at. And there was a cup and a saucer and a spoon. And I had a latte and I said, I like this cup and saucer. Just put it in your pocket. So I did. I still have it in this day. Nice. That's always posed. So it's yin and yang. Mm-hmm. So the cup, I just carry the cup now because I had it for 15 years. And in 2015 in, in Cologne, Germany, I broke it. I broke in three big pieces. So I glued it back together again. And now it looks like me. It's got some scars on it. Yeah. I like the way it looks now. So that's always in my bag. And uh, that's always posed. Um, and I hope one day to meet a publisher that gets behind really, um, an outrageously wonderful monograph book about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll happen one day. Who knows? It's funny. You said- I, uh, I got, I'm hmm? sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I got, uh, I was in Germany in 2015. When was it? It was 2015. It was, yeah, the, the cup broke in 2016. So I was in Germany and I was in Berlin getting on a train to go back to Amsterdam. And it's a two hour train ride. It's a four hour, four, about four hour train ride. And so this guy gets in the car with me. It was only he and I in the car. The sun comes out. It was winter. Sun comes out. I pulled the cup out because the sun came out and I put him on the table him he's on the phone and I snap a couple of shots he's in the picture and he goes what are you doing I go oh I photographed this couple over the world and I said uh, since 19 well since about 2001 I took him from a coffee house in Delft Holland 
he lit up and goes, I'm the chair of the architecture department at, at TU Delft University. Will you come? Well, can I host you for a day? I want to talk to you about this project you're doing. And so his name is Cor Wagner. And so I took the train out uh, two days later and hung out with him in Delft, Holland. And he goes, this is a really fascinating project. He goes, I'm going, I want to do an exhibition. So are you interested? Absolutely, I'm interested. He goes, uh, I'm going to find two students I can give extra credit to and help, and they'll help produce the show. So he kept trying to do that from 2015 until I was in Berlin. I had an exhibition in Berlin. It was December 2018. I got an email from Core. Frank, I found two students, finally. Are you still interested? Absolutely. He goes, okay. So I'm going to give you their name. You WhatsApp them. And so for, I had a year, literally almost nine months. So I would WhatsApp these girls. We talk about strategy. They told me about the exhibition space at university. It's the University of Groninga. And it's spelled spelled G-R-O-N-I-N-G-E-N. They pronounce it Groninga. And it's uh, three hours north of Amsterdam in a lovely, lovely town. Mm-hmm. Um, no cars are allowed in town. Oh, nice. Bikes, people. It's really sweet. And University of Groningen. Um, so I made, so I call the show At Sea Level. It's part of my thing. Once again, you know, since it's master, you master the light, you should be able to shoot anything. So... Uh, there's a, the word for ubiquity means being able to be every being present at the same time at the same place all the time. Ubiquity. The Latin word is ubiquitous. Ubiquitas. That used to be on my business. That, that's, actually, that's actually on my business card. If you send me a mailing address in Japan, I'll send you something in the mail with one of the cards. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You can see what's on the card. The, um, I call my thing being at sea level. And it's the at sign C S E E level, which means no matter where you are, you understand the light, you can shoot anything. You know, um, and so I call the show at sea level because it's people, places, things, and coffee cups. Nice. So I made ninety five. Let me make let me make ninety five prints. Ninety five thirteen by nineteen prints. Oh wow, that's a lot. And yeah, half. Half so forty five or ninety forty five were coffee cups, yeah, and forty five were people, places, and things. So they were all separate. And the girls did they did a man they 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 knocked they. Oh, we broke up. So I took the prints. The prints were sleeved in clear sleeves, mm-hmm. and, and they were hung on string. And there was an empty cup on the bottom of each string. Empty coffee cup. Nice. So they, 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 I mean, it was a, it was a, and it was a huge success. You know, uh, I met Greg, uh, in the middle of when I was in LA putting this together and he came by, I showed him in the dark room and I told him about the show and he goes, I want to go. He took him, so he went with me. So he went. So we had a lovely time in Holland and, uh, you know, at some point my favorite city is Berlin. I love Berlin. And I've, Berlin is photographically an amazing place. Just, I, just 
Go ahead. I'm listening. Uh, I've been to Berlin and uh, I was only there for about a day and a half. And when whenever you're there for such a short time and you go there for street photography, it's kind of intimidating because you don't really know how to uh, accept it, right? Because you you don't know what to do. You definitely need a lot of time, and I wish I can go back to Berlin. Um, but I, I like how the city still looked as it did after the war. Like, not much has changed, and I don't know if that's purposely, or at least the part of the city where I was at, it, it was very, like, this was this part, and this was that part. So I, I yeah, they, 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 cleaned, they, cleaned they cleaned it up, but uh, it's it's, you know, there's a train station that's no longer there. Um near the uh, one of the play, but most of their train stations would be built. But I always get, I mean, I get, it's just, it's, for me, it's just Germany stuff's happening all the time mm-hmm. in Berlin. Um, it's, it's inexpensive. The trans, uh, the, uh, the transit system is outrageous. It's cheap. Food there is inexpensive. Um, uh, getting a place to stay is inexpensive. People are friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have a lovely time there. Always. Um, another place that I really found enchanting was uh, Prague. Oh, man. It's like magic. The night, the light at night in Prague is magic. I've it's got this glowing. Oh, man. It's another place in Budapest. Oh, the light. It's just, and, and, and just, uh, I have to go back. You know, I want to go back. Uh, I did three, I did four days in Budapest. Been in Prague twice, Barcelona. Been in Barcelona twice. Um, it's great cities, great night stuff, great day stuff, um, great people, just friendly, friendly people. I was walking in Prague with a buddy of mine, and I heard somebody call my name. I don't know anybody in Prague. <laughs> they said, "You Frank Jackson?" And I was like, "What?" And the guy walked up to me and goes, hey, I saw you in a Chris Weeks movie about Lycus that was done in 2009. This was 2015. And I said, yeah, it was me. He said, I said, man, I said, you got some good eyes. I, said, I had a hat and a coat on. And he called me from behind. I was like, yeah. And he goes, man, I really like your work. I said, thank you. He had a Chrome M6. He was a Spanish guy, young guy that lived and uh, worked in the city. And uh, uh, the... Check the Czech photographers. I think there's a Sedlik, Joseph Sedlik, Jan Jan, Jan Sadiq. Uh, beautiful photography work. Now they have they have a uh, their their eyes is this creamy light, the night stuff. They just have a, a very dark, dark magical kind of look in their pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film company there is Foma Pan, Foma. And they make paper and film. It's got a lot of silver in it. Yeah, very very rich looking stuff. I've yeah. I've come across the film, and that's one film stock I've not shot. Uh, I see it all the time. I just I don't know enough that I was interested. But now that you mention it, now I will definitely pick a roll up next time I'm in just, Tokyo. Just shoot some, yeah. Just, just take a yeah. Shoot some, you know. Shoot some and, and print on their paper. Yeah. I love I love when it comes to wet papers. Uh, I like matte papers because, especially the ones that have uh, have good black on them. Mm. And uh, my my first paper choice is Ilford multi grade matte fiber base. Okay. 
um, beautiful blacks in that paper. Nice. Just wonderful stuff. Uh, I do want to go back to your cup, uh, and I had to write it down because I don't want to forget, but the Japanese, they had a little tradition that they, they, you know, they make their cups by hand. So whenever they would break, what they would do is they would remold it and they would pour gold over it so that the gold will fill the cracks and then it was just, it would create more artistic and it was like, you know, nothing in life's perfect. It's a whole thing you can research on the internet. Uh, But yeah, when your cup cracked and you said you glued it together, that just came to mind. So I just wanted to I know about that process. I saw that and I said, that would be, if I put silver or gold in there, it would just take it in the wrong direction I wanted to go in. The silver, it would look pretty, but the silver would just take away from the picture. Yeah. Because it would pop. And gold would definitely pop. But yeah, I love that process. It is a great, uh, yeah. great idea, you know. Um, appreciate life no matter what. Uh, so, yeah, we, we know you shot pretty much everything under the sun as far as genre-wise, but when did you first discover street photography uh, and what do you like about it? What inspires you? Um, just seeing um, how odd and unconventional, common, everyday things, things are. People, you walk on, you watch people long enough, and you'll see just how incredibly odd it is that everybody's so similar in different countries. Mm-hmm. They, you know, we, we, we speak different languages. And people look at, they look at other people in other countries like, well, they're, that's, that's very foreign to me. But you look at what they're doing, they're doing the same thing. They're all going out to get food. They're watching out for their kids. They all want to do well by their families. It's the same thing. You know, um, but yet people will, uh, it's funny, people will have the same complaints about another country because they're doing exactly the same thing. It's hilarious to me, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's hilarious. You know, it's, uh, it's why are people so angry because they don't have enough to eat. <laughs> and I said, that'll make you angry. Yeah. They're hungry. People are hungry and they'll go to, you know, people will kill to get food and they can't get it. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, and especially the family, you know, you got you got a, you got a, a mother and dad and the kids are hungry and the kids look at the family like, well, I'm hungry. Where's my food? You know? Yeah. And if you're standing in the way of that, you're going to get run over, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, it's just what's going to happen. So earlier, we, yeah. when I called you earlier, uh, briefly, we were discussing the union. Uh, and I said that was a conversation I would love to hear more about. Uh, so yeah, if you don't mind, ah, yeah, uh, on that one, I would love to um, hear that. So, um, Dean, when you work in a, um, say, if you work in Hollywood, uh, most of the work is union, and you can't work. You don't get a, you, you can't get hired if you're not union, and you get paid the wages and all that stuff. Um, I was never in a union because I'm, I'm not, I was, I was doing regular commercial ad work. I was doing freelance work. So I, you know, I got, I got great wages, you know, um, day rates were minimum $2,000 a day. Magazine covers were averaging $1,500 a day. 
Um, but then the photographers, you knew what you were doing. You know, it was, um, you shot on film and you turned in perfect pictures. They didn't read, they couldn't retouch anything. If they did, it was hellaciously expensive because they were doing airbrushing. And then they, they so they air, they'd retouch something with airbrushing it, and they'd rephotograph it, and then they would make that, that the final print. And they'd go to print with that. And then there was uh, the pre thing to uh, digital was Cytex, which I think was seven hundred dollars an hour, if I'm not mistaken. And you know it's a lot of money to do uh, to do minimal retouching. Yeah. So if they were if they were uh, correcting a black and white print picture print, they sprayed grayscale inks, airbrushed grayscale ink mm-hmm. to perfection. You know, when they were done, it looked like you shot it that way. Um, it is, I, what's the best way to put this? Um, we talked about uh, the effects of racism in workplace. And so if people didn't see the color of my skin being black, they saw my work and more often than not, if they finally met me, a lot of times people were astounded that I was not white and they were so astounded. It couldn't help but blurt out. You took these pictures and I was, you know, I was, I was, it saddened me a little bit, but you know, I just kind of go, well, that's unfortunately the way of the world. But it even saddened me more when my own people who didn't know I was black would say the same thing. Like we're capable of excellence, you know. Um, it's it's a it's a testament to to racism in the world and racism in America. You know, uh, some people are trying to say it's not a big deal. It always has been a deal. Um, we have been trying to be treated as equals for a long time in this country. Um, my take is if you are non-white in America, uh, each group has its own tale of being treated less than human. And every time you turn around, um, you know, it's still happening. We go forward um, five feet and we go backward six and a half, five and a half feet. And if in the same place when people looking around going, what happened? Um, you know, basically, somebody keeps refusing to acknowledge that this was wrong and to become transparent about it. That's one of the other reasons I like going to Germany. They become very transparent about their, their Nazi past and Holocaust. Mm-hmm. They openly apologize and try to, they keep trying to make amends. They educate the kids about the Holocaust. Um, they don't sweep it under the carpet. You know, um, we have the interesting thing. We have statues of Confederate generals that were front and center in the South, mainly in the South. And America is not known for putting people that didn't win something front and center. You know, losers don't get 
um, trophies. It, you know, um, especially for uh, what happened. Um, I do understand that, that people thought the healing would help if they just swept it under the carpet and moved on. But from what I understand, the history books in the South, the kids are taught a different lesson in the history of the Confederate War and what happened. This all started happening, I think, after World War One. You know, so it wasn't started right after the Civil War. It started after World War One by a group of people, I think called the Daughters of the Confederacy. So, you know, five feet forward, five and a half feet back, and here we are again. Full circle. Uh, they had to make it, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the circle's not closed, you know. So uh, half a foot, just half a foot to close it. Um, you know, um, the world was coming apart in the 60s. Johnson made it illegal to discriminate about voting, made it illegal to treat us as a group of people less than human. And still here we are again. You know, uh, yeah. So hopefully people's eyes will not, uh, I, I was thinking of something where I came up with this thing where I thought, I keep thinking that civil rights is not a fad. You know, it's not skinny jeans today and thick jeans tomorrow. It should be pants. Pants that are worn and pants that fit. You know, hopefully um, all sides, because everyone's guilty. We're all guilty. Nobody's innocent. We're all guilty of that. You know, um, sad thing in our history in war is um, we all good enough to die for the country. But when we came back, we weren't good enough to be to be part of it. During World War II, the German prisoners in the South that were picking cotton in the fields, they could eat lunch in the restaurants, but black troops couldn't go in there and eat. That's crazy. Yeah. Nutty. It's nutty. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. The 442nd, full of Japanese Americans that rescued, they fought with distinction uh, in World War II in Italy. Uh, they rescued a lot of the white troops that, 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 that got trapped. And, you know, their families are in camps. You know? Mm-hmm. Navajo wind talkers. Japanese couldn't defeat them. Families on reservations. You know? But I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not one of these bitter black guys. I like... I've been so fortunate. I get to go places most black folks don't get to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, you just keep doing what you do and make it work. Definitely. Live by, you know, live by an example. That's a hard one. You know, people don't like to, uh, how do they say, practice what they preach, lead by example. Uh, so, selfishness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But one day we'll get well, past I think all of that. One day, hopefully, stop being we become more self-aware. I think that um, I think you see the picture of the cat that looks in the mirror, and they're not sure what they're looking at, <laughs> but they want 
I fight it. They don't know this is reflection, you know? It's, me. it's almost like, look, stop fighting. You know, that's, that's you in the mirror, you know? Uh, once you realize it's you, embrace it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Definitely. Be all that, you know, it's okay. Yeah. But now yeah. I would like to um, introduce your social media accounts, websites, Instagram. We connected through Instagram, so we would like to plug that. Uh, and then kind of yeah. discuss a, a photo I selected from your social media Instagram. Uh, and then just have okay. a little discussion about that. So, uh, yeah, right, All right now, go ahead. Introduce your Instagram and any websites, anything you like, anything that's yours. Uh, my Instagram is photographs. O-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Z. Um, the website is photographs.com, which I need to change. Well, I need to add some pictures to that, but people who have never been there, there's a, a nice selection. There's not too much stuff on it. Um, and I post to Instagram. Um, I post... Uh, because I hope that I can reach, reach out to someone. I hope to see stuff. Mm -hmm. I like Instagram because they don't, uh, they don't get caught up in a lot of politics and useless discussions and they don't get into petty fights. I think people, you know, you should watch, if you want to do that, watch Jerry, watch reruns of Jerry Springer, you know, on TV. You want to do that kind of stuff and call people out. Just, you know, look, just, let it be. Um, I do believe that Instagram is a bad platform for me because they're not about details. It's very hard to see little tiny pictures. Most people see them on their phone. Yeah. Um, there are lots of little details in pictures. You know? So maybe one day I'll disappear off of Instagram and maybe be someplace where people can really see it. But until then, you know, I'll put a few pictures up now and then. Definitely uh, feel the same way. Instagram is just for me now. I just use it to connect to others, so it's a good a good yeah. tool for that. Not so much for yeah. the the popularity. If you're not super famous already or an influencer, as they like to call. Well, it. I don't. I don't think I'm ever gonna. I don't think <laughs> I. I don't think I'm ever gonna be one of those guys with eight zillion followers, and I refuse to have robot followers. So. Oh yeah. Well, um, I'm constantly cleaning my, my, my friends list and the followers because they will appear like you won't add them and they'll just somehow they just appear. So um, if anyone's listening, you should check your followers and, and who you follow as well, because people you're like, I don't remember clicking on this and they'll just show up. So I always monitor. Yeah. 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 So the photo I selected, I really liked. Um, it's a, a gentleman sitting on a park bench, it looks like. Um, I think it's a park, but he's sitting on the bench for sure. Oh, yeah. And he's embracing, I like to say, life, right? You can see the nature. And yeah. he's, just got, he's looking kind of up in a 45-degree angle. And he's just, I can see your wonderful capture of the lights and the shadows. Uh, but what do you remember about this photo, uh, where you took it? Obviously, we know earlier you know how to masterly capture images uh but yeah tell us a little about this photo that's the famous jazz vocalist john hendrix if you google his name you'll find 
a lot of information about that man. Mm-hmm. He, um, I was, I got to shoot. I was working for Lionel Hampton shooting jazz. I'm, so, I, so I met him. I knew about him. So I ended up, like I'm talking to you, except in person, meeting all these legends and got to photograph them whenever I wanted to. So when I go to New York, I'd say, I'm in town, man, you go, let's hang out. So that was the second time I photographed him. And so the first time I photographed him, I got him in top hat tails in his apartment. Mm-hmm. He used to live near the World Trade Center. And that was really a slick, really nice looking shot. This time I said, let's not get dressed up. Let's go to Central Park, do something more organic. So on the way to Central Park in a cab ride, he told me the story about how he didn't become a drug addict. And I photographed him, and there's a proof sheet. I have one proof sheet him telling me how he didn't become a drug addict. That's another story. But we get to Central Park, and we're walking around. It was a nice summer day, and the light was amazing. And I had my favorite tool, my blad, with me. And he had a, uh, a captain's hat that you wear on a boat, and, a, and he had a blazer on. And I saw this bench and I said, I found the bench with the right light. And I said, go sit on that bench. Look at me. Now I want you to close your eyes and think of something wonderful and put your head up. And he did not snap a couple of shots. And uh, that was a film shot with a Hasselblad, you know, and just worked out. Yeah. It's really nice. I I love, you can just tell he's really embracing everything in that moment. And oh, he's that guy. He's, he's something else. He was, he was a piece of work, man. He was, uh, he's a old fashioned showman. Uh, he put on, he knew how to put on a show and could talk fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was the one that he got famous putting words to the jazz impro- impro- improvisation uh, that Miles Davis would play. Mm-hmm. So if Miles Miles wrote a, a, a song called Seven Steps to Heaven. And it was like, John Hendricks wrote, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven steps to heaven. And then every other note Miles would play, he had a word for it. So if you know who Bobby McFerrin is, Bobby McFerrin is the one that makes uh, musical notes with his voice, and he did the song, uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy. He's famous for that song, but um, Bobby McFerrin always looked up to John Hendricks as a mentor and a god. I was walking with John one day, and his cell phone rang, and it was Bobby, it was Bobby McFerrin, you know, who is still alive today and still a big deal in the music world. Um, but yeah, um, I like jazz, man. I like jazz. I like jazz. I like uh, the guys, the hip-hop guys that embrace jazz, like Q-Tip, Questlove. I love the things they collaborate with some of the famous jazz people and done beautiful works. Photography, to me, is lyrical. There's tones, you know. Um, your notes. Your notes, your notes are your, are your, your note light broken down in tones, you know. Uh, it's all about uh, gradations, from light to dark, um, mood. It's always about mood, you know. Sometimes it's more light and less shadow. Sometimes it's more shadow and less light. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my other thing is there's no bad pictures. There's no bad pictures. What there is is there's pictures you see and you know right away this is special. And you don't need an education in fine art or an MFA or someone to tell you that's a good picture. You know, it's, you know that that's it. You know, just like works of art, like the Mona Lisa. You know, there's something special about that 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 thing. It just without you even knowing, because nobody knows who she is. You know, she could have been a two bit prostitute for all we know. We don't know. Yeah, we sure don't. World famous painting, and it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. She's, you know, prolific. Mm-hmm. Just prolific. So, of your long journey in photography, how do you force yourself to make better photos? Um, I keep my echo in check by going, everything you do ain't wonderful. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, I know that uh, picture for picture, say, say for what I put on Instagram, all of it's not not oh wow worthy some of it is but some of it isn't some of it's there for sometimes um just because mm-hmm. you know but i won't the thing about me also is i won't run out and um just snap snap a camera if i don't feel it i won't just pull the camera out to snap and say i'm taking pictures there are days i'll, I'll always have a camera with me very rarely do i ever not have a camera but i don't always use it but it's there. Um, you will very rarely catch me using my phone because if I pull a, I see something I really want, I want a high res picture of it with separation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to shoot a high res on the phone and figure out how to get it bigger if I need it to be. Okay. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I like it. Got to capture it, all the details. So, what do you like most about being a photographer? For me, it's freedom. It's freedom to express yourself. It's the freedom to, uh, to see. Mm-hmm. It's okay to see. Um, one thing I do realize that though in Europe, um, artists get real respect in Europe. They get, uh, Serious support, government more so more than they do here. Here, um, if you get famous and you start getting paid, you get respect. But if you're still trying to to get discovered or noticed or something, it's a hard road. You better have a day job. Oh yeah, especially photography. To all these young guys, a, yeah, I'm like, look, don't go out and buy the dream camera you dream about unless you can afford to pay for it right away. So I was in, in Tokyo uh, last week, and uh, I came across this stick. I like buying stickers. I don't use them all, but it's a street sign of – it's a template of a street sign if you were driving somewhere in Japan, anywhere. They all look like this. Uh, but this one I kind of like because – I'll show you kind of. But it says if you turn, if you turn left, it's normal. If you turn right, it's common. But if you keep going straight, you either have great success – or complete failure. You never know. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I saw this and I was like, oh, that's true. 
definitely need to buy that. So, um, yeah. That's pretty slick. Yeah, it's true. You, you never know the path you're going. So, but yeah, it's true. That's uh, yeah. If you keep, I love going, that. Keep going down the same path. Is it complete success or complete failure or great success, complete failure? Yeah, it's uh, that <laughs> none better spoken. It's a funny thing. So. Can you still see me? Yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can see the, the reflection yeah, of the light. Off my teeth. <laughs> no worries. Uh, How do you step out of your comfort zone? You know, every photographer has their comfort what? zone. How do you step out of your comfort zone as a photographer? Um, man, you know, so when it comes to street photography... I don't like to pose people, you know, um, I love what Greg does. Greg will walk up to someone and say, I'm going to take a picture of you. Mm-hmm. And he, he gets people and he gets these just amazing portraits of people. He poses them like he wants and they are iconic and very epic looking like, like boom, this is life. I like to catch people being themselves. So I'll see something and I'll try to get a shot Well, you don't see me. Um, every once in a while, I'll ask someone to take a picture. You just, you know, just do it. And, you know, they either say yes or no. Um, but uh, comfort zone, I, 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 I think I do the classic hunting thing is you, you go hunting, you go someplace, let them see you, get used to you. Mm-hmm. You don't take any pictures, and the next time you come back, you just start snapping, and they're just so used to you, they don't see you anymore. Uh, I used to do uh, all of my photography with the Blad. That's a big camera, and it's noisy. And one thing I get from people, they say, I never saw you with the camera. You didn't see me with a big silver Hasselblad with a 40 millimeter wide angle lens on it and a prism. The things, it's the size of a, almost a small as a baby airy, you know, film camera. We walk around with it. They're not little. Oh yeah. Medium formats. Amazing detail. Too large to conventionally I say conventionally because there's really no rules for street photography but um, very noticeable nonetheless oh yeah what is something you learned that you think all photographers should know Uh, um, when to stop trying to um, make the perfect picture after they shoot it especially with digital, you know, if you, if you got it, you, you do your processing and leave it alone. Cause you know, when it was wet dark room, it was only a wet dark room. You made 30 prints in the same thing. That's 30 sheets of paper. Yeah. <laughs> you got, you got 30 prints and one, you know, is only one, one that's expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, now you can have 30, 30 of the same print on the screen. You can look at it. Figure out which one you like the most. Mm-hmm. You know, go from there. But um, you know, it, 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 it's still one of those things. Lost start. Trying to print my work as well more and and do less of that. I w- I want to make everything as close to perfect in my photos as possible. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> 
stop that. Stop it. Just stop it. Just make the picture. You know, make the picture. And like, I, like I'm, I was serious. I produce all my files, all my pictures to print. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're like, they're ready to go right to a printer. You know, so. Yeah. yeah it, 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 it makes my life a lot simpler and easier. A lot of learning. I, 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 nothing's easy, right? In, in, in the beginning process of that. Well, you, 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 no, nothing's easy, and it, it does. It, it doesn't take that much. I mean, it doesn't take that much time. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know, I'm I'm now sixty five, so I don't look it and I don't feel it. But I've been doing this since I was like fifteen years old, oh, no. and never let anything get in the way. You know, I had, like I said, I had the, the small gig, you know, four years with IBM and, um, no regrets about walking away from that. Um, cause you gotta be happy at the end of the day. But, um, it's, I think I, I tell people this, it truly is. It's, it's, it's the trip. The journey and the trip, not the destination. Because when you get where you're going, if you have your eyes open and you can see, there's going to be some new questions, mm-hmm. which are going to take some more trips. You know. Yeah. And the only way to answer that question, yeah, you got to learn. You got to learn some new stuff along with the old stuff. So. When you find the photo that you really want to capture, what do you want it? What do you want the story to say? Um, I want the story to say this is what this is. This is I want the picture to show how that felt, so you feel it. You actually feel it. You know, yeah. yeah. You see it. You feel it. Um, like you're there, mm-hmm. the mood, you know, um, I guess it's like the first time that you see the one we've all had in our lives. I mean, I've been lucky enough to have had it happen twice where you young woman steps into a room and she's it. Mm-hmm. And she's so, it just turns out that she and she sees you like that. It's not just one way. Been fortunate enough to have that happen because when it's one way, it's like, oh no, that's just the term unrequited love. <laughs> like you can look at the flower, but you can't have it. <laughs> you know, it's the worst feeling. <laughs> yes, it is the worst. Yeah, what's even worse is the flower decides they want to be your friend. Oh, friend zone. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that the female. You're my friend. We're friends. Like, oh no, <laughs> you just, you just told me. You just told me you need a ride, but you don't, you don't ever want to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. the, the other guy couldn't take you to, to go eat dinner. <laughs> so here I am. Yep. Yeah. 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 So what would you like to accomplish with your photography? Like, What's the overall goal for your photos? To inspire. Ooh. Inspire people that, that stop looking for, spectacular things that you think are going to make your work better. 
there's stuff right in front of you that you should be looking at. You should be looking at, you know? Yeah. If you want to pick a specific thing to photograph, so you like people, go after that. Go do it. You know? Yeah. But what helps you round out your, your skills is to shoot something that you don't think you're good at. I learned photography by taking an egg and setting it in a window. And the ultimate egg picture for me is the floating egg shot, which I, it's on Instagram. I have it. It's there somewhere. Uh, that, that shot's not falling and it's an analog shot shot in 1991. So it's not digital, mm-hmm. you know, so there's no tricks. It's just, you can't see what's holding it. Nice. We'll look for so people always think it's Photoshop. Yeah. I think that's the, the go-to for everything nowadays is Photoshop. Photoshop's the key to photography nowadays. And uh, oh, that's Photoshop. Easy to, I've done that. But uh, yeah. I'll, yeah, Photoshop is a, is a wonderful program. It's just, it's, I know some people that know that program very well. I'm not one of them. I'm sure not one of them. So what would you say was your biggest challenge you have faced as being a photographer and how did you overcome that? Uh, you know, and what scared me the most was that I was really good at what I did and I didn't, and I, and I didn't know what I was doing and what helped me was I went back and taught myself the technical things so I could be, I could consistently just repeat those things. And we talked about earlier about, I showed you a portfolio, some very highly technical photographs that were gorgeous. I could reproduce that. It wasn't luck. I could do it, you know, 10 times out of 10, any city in the world, ready to go. You know, you knew what lights to put where. Yeah. It's a, a challenge. In a yep. <laughs> I, I, I liked how you, when you said that earlier was, if I showed you a photograph, like I, I took this because I know what I'm doing and it was... Not luck at all. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, someone said, uh, what do you call it? I said, call it expertise. Um, uh, a craft, um, learning a craft is not a skateboard, skateboard way, which is you try to, you try not to break your neck. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you flip the board and land on it. Oh, I did, oh, I did it. You know, oh, cool. That's great. You know, do it again. But even if you're an expert, you can still screw up doing that. Yeah. But when you're an expert with a craft, you don't screw it up. Especially if it's some precious metal, you can't afford to do that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. But expertise, photography is an art and a science. You always have to do enough of the art, so you'll have enough negative to show or, 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 or file to show some, some, some image. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. You know who Fan Ho was? 
Uh, I've been hearing a lot about him. I just learned of him recently, and I'm trying to get some of his work. Um, yeah, brother, that, that's the man right there. Yeah, uh, one of the guests I she showed me a book, and I was like, oh, now I gotta look for this book. I've seen it uh, a little more than I could afford to purchase for a book at the time, uh, but I do plan on yeah buying it one day. I'm in that school myself, man. I saw a couple of those I'd like to own. This work is stunning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely stunning. You do not have a four by five press camera. You know, he's just like, wow. But you know, he's got the light and he was there. Mm -hmm. And he knew how to process and print. Lost art. Everything knows. I still process film too. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's something that Wow. <laughs> if you could go back to uh, the day where you decided you wanted to be a serious full-time photographer, uh, and you kind of know when that day was, but what, would, what advice would you give yourself? I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. What'd you say? If you could go back to the the first day where you decided you wanted to be a full-time photographer, what advice would you give yourself? Take some business classes. Because back then it was, I want to take pictures. I didn't care about the money. Mm -hmm. Um, I was smart enough to always had a day job, you know? Um, Never bought camera equipment or credit cards. Uh, if it was a camera I wanted, I had the money. I paid cash for it. Paid cash for it. Um, I was never going around my friends borrowing money for camera stuff. They were always happy to see me. <laughs> you know, uh, business. It's a business. You, 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 if you if you do the business, you sustain yourself. Definitely. You know. Yeah. You, know, you can own as many cameras as you want. You can afford them, mm-hmm. but can only take one. You can only use one camera at a time. That is true. So now is a part of the podcast where I like for the guests to recognize um, up and coming photographers. They feel got stunning work and does not receive the recognition they think you does that you think they deserve. Um. What's this guy's name? Ah, Peacock. Yes, Peacock. Yeah, he's a young guy that uh, from East Coast. He's moved to California. Um, he's doing it, man. The work. Mm-hmm. He's he's not stuck in one. He's not in one world. He's out, he's he's everywhere. He's doing it. And the work's consistent. Nice. There's another guy named M62. He's in Pasadena. He's doing it. Um. And there's, there's like several others and, you know, I got to mention Greg. Oh yeah. Greg's getting recognized, but he's doing it. He does got You know, and, and, uh, third eye, you know, you know, his work is stunning. Uh, Greg introduced me to some absolutely fantastic guys in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. They're out there. They're, they're, they're hammering it home. 
hammering it, man, in color, not just black and white, in color. You know, just gorgeous stuff. Nice. Yeah. I'm writing these all down, uh, and I will reach out. Yeah, there's a... There's a girl named... But she's doing more fashion stuff. I'm going to call it street. Um... Uh, that, 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 that's more fashion stuff. I wouldn't call it street stuff. I won't. No, that's not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, Joseph Silva. Yes. Joseph Silva. Yeah. New York he's photographer. He's there. No, he's out here. He's out here. Okay. I'm thinking of a different guy then. There's a Gordon Lewis. Gordon Lewis. Uh, another one. Um, yeah, um, this guy's name, Robert Hale, yes, Robert Hale, another Renaissance man, beautiful light, lyrical, just gorgeous images, consistently gorgeous images, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, we do appreciate all of these, uh, I will look them up. And reach out to pretty much all of them, and hopefully we can get them as a guest. Uh, and I like to end the pod right. uh, with a question I was asked, and I like to ask all my guests. Um, everyone who listens knows what what it is, but if you don't, uh, what does street photography mean to you? Thank you, Craig Clark. Street photography is. Anything that you take outside your door, because you could be inside of a building someplace and still shoot something out in the world. It's out there. It's open, it's fair game. You know, um, it begs to be documented. You know, it's um, photography is the active practice of collecting moments. I'm simply happy to become the sum of my moments. Nice. I like that. Uh, something I like to ask because everybody sees it, feels it, views it differently. Uh, and, I, and I like that the sum of your active moment. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, again, that's the last question I always typically ask at the end of the pod. Uh, but if you have any questions for me, uh, feel free to ask and I'll answer as best as I can. Oh man, just do what you do. It's uh it's a good thing. It's uh it's 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 you're like uh allowing the inspiration to go farther, you know, connecting you're connecting everyone, connecting all the pieces. I appreciate that. I really do. It's a good thing. Thank you. It's a good thing. Thank you, thank you. Make the world smaller. <laughs> that's that's the goal, trying to build the community. Far reaches. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I spoke yeah. With, with Greg recently, and he's on the other half of the world from where I am. And it's just amazing how we can connect now. So, but yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for your time. Um, I'm sure we are all, all right. you're busy, and I do really, really appreciate it. And I enjoyed this conversation. So, once again, thank you. Um, and yeah, that that's it for today. Uh, thank you, everybody. All uh, right, man. Frank Jackson. All right. All right. Thank you. Be well. You too. Cheers.
Sorry, I had to. 